Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. This is Reset. I'm Jen White. When I think about survivors, the way that they're portrayed in television and film, especially if they're women, I feel like it's like she's assaulted and then she becomes like very good at swords. (laughs) Do you know the storylines I'm talking about? There's like a combat element and that was not true for me. I say the same amount good at swords. (laughs) Expert. That's comedian Cameron Esposito from her 2018 stand-up special, Rape Jokes. In the special, Esposito tackled sexual assault, consent, and more from a survivor's perspective. Her new memoir, Save Yourself, goes even deeper, giving hilarious and sometimes painful insight into how Esposito grew up and grew into self-acceptance. And Cameron Esposito joins us now. Cameron, it's great to have you back. Oh, it's so great to be here. It's so, it really is. I like was just listening to Lisa Labas and it just makes me feel like I'm home. I'm serious. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, well first, yeah. I just want to know how you're doing. What has it been like to, to release a book during a global pandemic? Well, if there is any title that you could have for a book right now, Save Yourself <laughs> is the most ridiculous one. It's been OK. I had to cancel a book tour, which was the right thing to do. And, I, mm-hmm. you know, I feel so glad that I made that decision. Um, but it was also challenging. Uh, I had to move all of those events to Zoom. And, you know, it turns out as a stand-up comic, I'm also not necessarily a tech expert, but I have learned some things, which has been very helpful. I now have a TikTok. So (laughs) moving into the future, actually, slash, that might even be the past, but for me, it feels like the future. My girlfriend, who I live with, has been was super sick um, with uh, what what seems to be coronavirus, and so I just say that because all of this stuff has been happening at the same time, and I know that's true for so many people that are, I'm sure, listening right now. You know, trying to figure out how to do the same job they've been doing in a brand new way, and also being touched by the outbreak of this virus. And so all of it, you know, happening and, and trying to promote a book called Save Yourself. (laughs) Ideal. (laughs) Ideal. It it all just came together so smoothly. Yes. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I loved the memoir. and, And I think the thing that I enjoyed about it the most was that it, it felt like sitting in an audience with you delivering just sort of an, almost an extended stand up set and and I could hear your voice delivering the memoir. And it was powerful because we learned so much about you. Uh, you were raised in, in a suburb about 15 miles west of Chicago called Western Springs. Uh, you were raised Catholic. What was your upbringing like? What was it like to grow up in the Western suburbs? Well, Western Springs is an incredibly idyllic place. Actually, the the movie Contagion, which is such a it's like sweeping the rentals right now because mm-hmm. it's about a global pandemic when they were looking for a sort of a model you know main street usa it is shot in downtown western springs so the bakery that i grew up going to Kirschbaums, is on fire in the movie contagion if you ever if you would like to see if you'd like a recommendation for a movie 
not to watch right now. If <laughs> this you're from is Western not the Street. time. It's actually Contagion. Don't watch that movie. Um, but you know, it's it's it, it's a beautiful and, and idyllic place, and also a place where almost everybody is white. Everybody I knew was straight. Everybody I knew was Catholic, also. So in terms of you know, eventually realizing that I was queer and moving in the world in more diverse spaces. I think that that upbringing didn't necessarily provide me a greater landscape for accepting myself. You know, I felt like such a weirdo there. I was literally like, I don't know anybody who doesn't fit here. And and I'm sure there are a lot of people who felt that way. You know, but I felt like I didn't fit there and I felt like everybody else did. Well, in reading the book, it also felt like you were trying to figure out the language and the why around why you didn't fit. And you didn't have the lexicon for it until until much later. What was it like for you to to sort of arrive at that moment when you that aha moment like, oh, this is this is why I don't feel like I fit here. Right. I talk, I talk a lot about, I mean, in my stand-up too, you know, I, I was body shamed as a child because I was just a little chubby. And, um, I think that I thought that's what was going on. That's why I didn't fit. I had crossed eyes, which I had to wear an eye patch for eight years of my childhood, which is how you become a stand-up comic. And I didn't, you know, I didn't understand that there might be anything else going on. Went to college, conservative Catholic college, went to a conservative Catholic high school in the suburbs as well. And when I realized that I was queer, it was, it was honestly like a majestic experience because Mm I got to know there was a culture outside of myself. You know, I also had never taken like a women's studies class. And I remember I was a theology major in college and I went to this big debate where students were talking about whether or not women should ever have the right to be priests and I sort of came up with this idea, like, seemingly in a vacuum where I was like, I actually think that equity between the sexes is important. You know, it's like I invented feminism to, in my own mind without ever, like, you know, and, and that's a very lonely experience to feel like you're the first person that's had this thought or these feelings, you know, and to then realize like, oh, my God, I just didn't. It was a lack of exposure. And thank heavens, you know, I'm not the only one on earth, you know. But that lack of exposure also led you to a long period in your life when you had to basically dress up for different audiences. So you had to be, you know, one person for your college friends, um, a person for your family. You had these different identities you wore. It felt like to keep yourself safe. Did I land on that the right way? Yeah, that's a beautiful observation. I love the way that you said that. I do think that, you know, as a queer person, as a, and I, and I think this is probably true for any margin, any member of a marginalized group, so much of my life is around keeping myself safe, is built around keeping myself safe because I don't feel a fundamental safety. You know, there was a moment in my life when I was really rejected by faith, friends, and family. Like that that happened to me, the sort of full scope. And I think after some of those things were sorted out, I still, you know, to this day, 
can be harassed on the street or not sure of whether or not somebody I'm having a kind conversation with thinks I should go to hell, you know, or would vote against my interests. And when I think about why I chose stand-up comedy, it's like, I will try to tell the largest number of people who I am, hopefully playing the odds that enough of them will want to help me stay safe. Well, a big moment in the book is when you came out to your family, first to your mom at Cafe Nordstrom and (laughs) (laughs) Oakbrook Mall for anybody. A great scene. (laughs) And then, and then to your father and the acceptance came more quickly from your mother than from your dad, but it came for the period before you were able to, I guess, reconcile with one another emotionally. What did safety look like for you during that, that time, especially since you're so close to your family? I really don't think that I was safe, if that, if that makes sense. I mean, something that I learned in writing this book is that something bad had ever happened to me. I have this really wonderful tool, which is an overdeveloped sense of humor, because mm-hmm. humor is a coping mechanism that we all use and we need it. Like it is, it's a good coping mechanism. And trying to protect myself as a child, you know, making sure that you wouldn't make fun of me by me sort of entertaining you. I grew that skill over time and um, I think somehow arrived as an adult and really didn't want to be somebody who had trauma as a part of my lasting story. You know, like I really wanted to be like the phoenix that rose from the ashes where I'm like, yeah, in the past this happened, but I'm like amazing now, you know, and I think the more honest answer is that this will always be a part of my life. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, feeling unsafe in that way will always be a part of my life. And that's okay. It's interesting to hear you say that, because when I think about the decision to go into comedy and you found your way to comedy through improv that decision when I think about comedians and being on stage the way you are on stage that just scares me to death like I don't know (laughs) I would ever could ever work my way up to that level of vulnerability where it's just me on stage with my own words hoping I can make I can make people laugh and it feels like such a tightrope walk and almost in conflict with your desire to feel, to feel safe. How does that all work together for you? I just have a pretty different read on it. And I, mm. I so appreciate what you said because it's, you know, it's what I hear a lot. I think a lot of, I think every comic hears this, that, oh my God, this is this vulnerable thing. And, and I will say um, for me, for anybody who gets into this field, I think that the reason that we choose it, and for me especially, and is um, it's it doesn't feel vulnerable. It mm-hmm. feels powerful. You know, it feels like 
I can communicate with a large group of people. You know, sometimes I've performed for three people, 30 people. I've, I've performed for audiences, like I've performed for 40,000 people. And the feeling of I get to speak and I'm sort of the most powerful person in this moment. You know, we're communicating, but you are listening to me and I'm essentially manipulating the response that I want from you with my skill set. You know, that is the opposite of sitting down with your friend and saying to that person, I'm super sad and I don't know what to do about it. You know, because stand-up requires this confidence in a solution. You know, it's, it's the comic is talking about their feelings, but we're talking about our feelings in a way where we're like, don't take this too seriously. And I think that, I'm, again, I'm so grateful that I have this skill and I love my job, but something I have had to learn how to do as an adult is the other side of things that I'm talking about. This thing where I sit down with a friend and I say like, this thing really hurt my feelings you know, in my life, or I'm in pain about this thing, you know, as opposed to performing it, actually allowing someone to respond and uh, hold space for me, hmm. as opposed to my taking the space. Does that make sense? I think so. Because what I hear you, what I hear you saying is, there's a power in being on stage, there's a way you're able to activate your your skill and your talent when you're on stage that's more difficult to do when it's an intimate conversation with someone who you're maybe emotionally invested in in a different way does that well you're looking the person in the eyes yeah you know there's stage lights there's a sea of faces and when you're one-on-one -on -one or in a small group of people when you're in your more intimate relationships you're saying, this is who I really am. And there's, there's no laugh coming to release the tension of this moment. Mm. And um, yeah, I will, I hope I never stop doing stand up. And I also, I think I, I think I really see what it is. I'm sure, I'll, I'm sure I will know more and more about the field that I chose, but I really see it as like, people who choose this job, it's, it's the best we can do at communicating a bunch of really big feelings mm. <laughs> in a way that looks cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in, in writing the memoir, I, I'm always curious how much of it is just about telling your story and how much of it is about trying to learn and unravel your story well that is that's it right there i i think all artists are making art for our younger selves you know of course we also hope that other people will pay attention and of course you know i'm, pr I'm proud of the book but the person that is you know it, it's not therapy therapy is a different thing that i pay someone else for but it's a processing and if my standup is about queer people are strong and powerful and nuanced and we also fail and we're flawed, you know, the person who's heard me do standup the most is me. I have heard myself do standup more than any other audience member. And for the book, the same thing, you know, if the book is about like 
I'm going to be honest about some traumas. I'm going to be honest about my, my failings. And then I'm also going to look at the systems around me that are flawed. You know, the person like really needed to read that book is me. You've had a very complicated relationship with um, your Catholicism. You grew up Catholic. And I'll thing- say. <laughs> and how? <laughs> well, well, one thing that stood out for me uh, was this quote from the book. You said, I'll never truly lose the dread and fear that any choice I make or even the way I simply am will lead to consequences and pain for myself and others that are eternal. And that landed like a gut punch for me. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm a PK, I'm a minister's kid myself. And I was like, Ooh, I feel very seen right now, Cameron. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) But but how, how does that idea shape who you are and, and have you, I don't want to say surrendered to, to it, but have you come to peace with it or are, are you still, pushing against it you know it is evolving i am evolving um faith and spirituality all the time i don't think i will ever return to organized religion although of course we don't know the future perhaps that will happen but for me you know when i think about that it's in catholicism there's (laughs) the whole time you know you're born and then essentially the first thing that somebody says is like you were born sinful and then the other thing that somebody says is you were born perfect. You know, you're a perfect child of God who's also born uh, wrong and bad. And I think, you know, as a child, you take the sacrament of reconciliation. And I did it when I was nine. And when I was nine, I go and I confess to a priest about my failings, mm-hmm. you know, and I think about the sort of long-term damage of that when I was able to telescope out and and see more about the institution that was teaching me those things. The Catholic Church is an institution that also survived on colonialism, oppression, is misogynistic, is homophobic, is racist, and also hides and supports predators. You know, that's true of that organization. Those things are true of those of that organization. And essentially, is it a trustworthy narrator that is telling me how to be? in my life. You know, I think that's the conflict, if that makes sense, to grow up and read the Bible as source material that, you know, I still consider to be some really beautiful parables and that I still consider to be some amazing, an amazing look at human existence and to realize the way in which human beings have a thirst for power that is always part of institutions that is always built into an institution. So then I'm just a, I'm just a, you know, just a one solitary person trying to figure out, am I good or bad? You know, and who's telling me which one I am. And the, I think probably the answer is we're all mixed. We're all, we're all, we're all some good. We're all some bad. Mm-hmm. And maybe the, um, the wealth of human knowledge and experience doesn't all reside within any one religion. So the memoir is called Save Yourself. Is that a reminder to Cameron? Is that direction to people who are reading? Well, it is, first of all, a fantastic pun about the fact that I was not going to have sex until marriage. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I do not want to do it alone. I need other people, but I am responsible for my own salvation. Cameron Esposito's new memoir is called Save Yourself. We'll tweet out a link to it. Cameron, it's so good to talk to you again. It's been a real pleasure. And Lisa Labas said, thanks for the virtual hug. <laughs> you know, your voice made me feel so warm and um, welcome today. I really, really appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. And that's today's Reset. You'll find the most up-to-date news and information about the COVID-19 crisis at 91.5 and at WBEC.org. I'm Jen White. Be good to yourself and each other. And let's talk again soon. Thanks for listening to the news live on WBEZ and NPR. The WBEZ stream sounds great in the kitchen on your smart speaker and anywhere on the WBEZ app. Listen every day.